Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Well, listen, um, I'm excited. I've got a lot to cover, so I know you're, if you don't have a handout, you'll need one, but I'd love you to take it home. I'm not probably going to be able to cover all of it, but this is the second week. How many were not here last week? Just wave at me because, okay. Um, you're going to want to catch up. I really, uh, this is one of those places, I, I shared with you last week that I had um, what motivated this discussion on Pentecostalism and the charismatic movement. Um, in the part one series, what had happened is I got invited to speak to a number of UNCW students at a group called Ratio Christi. And uh, I listened to all the, all during the semester of college, they had guest speakers come in with all different <laughs> stuff. And um, they asked me, I was the last speaker for the year before they graduated, and um, it was amazing. I got questions that really stirred and actually uh, upset my heart in many ways. The questions that were asked and the speakers that spoke in the semesters before, I listened to them for hours, and the, the false doctrines, the unbelief, the counter-scripture, that stuff that was coming out was really, uh, it, um, I'm concerned. And then I looked at some of the professors that are at the UNC Chapel Hill in the religious studies groups. He's, a, he's an atheist, written a number of books, the uh, offensiveness towards Christianity, and that's what's being uh, taught in our universities. And so, it spurred me that says, my responsibility is that we, as a corporate body, know the truth. And so, my hope and my desire, my prayer is that you will have some of the, what I'll call current language, and someone asks you about your belief system, what you believe and why you believe it, you'll be able to have a reference and you'll also have some understanding. So, let me, let me dive in. Um, I started here last week. I want to start again. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let's start with a warning that Paul gives his spiritual son, Timothy, about, I believe, the last day. Some of you believe we're living in the last days. We certainly are a lot longer past where Paul wrote this to his spiritual son, Timothy. And he warns specifically in this, 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And it's a warning. My New Living Translation, I have a King James, thought for thought, and I have a parallel Bible with the New Living, which is thought for thought is the New Living Translation. King James is the word for word translation. Um, this is the same warning that prompted me to preach and share on Wednesday night on the book of Jude. If you've not read the 24 verses of the book of Jude, read it and meditate on it. It's a warning to the church. It's a warning for our day. And it's uh, Jesus' half-brother who at first did not believe he was Messiah. And after the resurrection, he becomes a missionary with his wife. We, carried, we covered that on Wednesday night. If you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to listen to it. It's the spiritual darkness that's alive and wormed its way into the church of today. We're going to pick up, so I'm, I'm kind of paralleling both of these. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, King James said. The Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times, think of this language, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. New Living Translation says, now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly. So Paul has this revelation. That's why in the picking up of the Spirit of God, in the spirit of each of you, having the Holy Spirit present, speaking to you, my sheep hear my voice. Paul says, the Spirit has told me very clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites, and they're liars, and their consciences are dead. In fact, King James says their consciences have been seared. When you sear something with a hot iron, it's all scarred. It doesn't work anymore. Their conscience is so gone, they have no understanding. That's why they're a bunch of hypocrites and liars, and that's why they're open to the deceiving spirits and the doctrines, doctrines of devils. Man, I heard tons of that in the conversation for hours listening to these other speakers. It so affected me. I said, oh my God, they're teaching such false doctrine. Paul's warning. 
Jude's warning to the church. These people have wormed their way in, Jude says, into your congregations, and now they preach these things. And so we have to be very careful. What is it we want to cover today in the understanding? It goes on and tells them that it's wrong to marry. You know that there's more people living together outside of marriage today than there are married. That's never happened before. If you look at, turn back to 2 Timothy in chapter 3. Now, this is Paul's, many believe this is Paul's last will and testament. In fact, he was in prison in his second imprisonment in Rome. He wrote this prison letter from Rome, knowing very well, he tells us in this book, that he is very soon to be martyred. He's going to be beheaded. Nero dies in 68. Emperor Nero dies in 68. And so this is probably written in 67. It's his last will and testament. And he warns his spiritual son from prison and to the church. The dangers of the last day. 2 Timothy 3.1. You should know this, Timothy. You should know this. That in the last days, very difficult times. I wish that very wasn't there. Very difficult times. People will love only themselves, their money. They'll be boastful, proud, scoffing, disobedient to parents, ungrateful. They'll consider nothing sacred. Just turn on the stuff that's on some of the media. Never in my days as a child did we ever have anything that's going on like today. I knew there was evil, but this has gotten to the point. They'll betrayal, pride, lovers of pleasure rather than God. They will act religious but they will reject the power that could make them godly. They'll have a form of godliness. They'll look godly, right? But they will be lovers of pleasure, and they will not have the power. And he says, turn away from such. So that's the warning that we see in this principle. Now, I mentioned last week a number of what I'll call title highlights and I, I pray that you'll look through these. We'll see them in page two of our handout. We looked at last week a lot of the false teachings and doctrines. Pluralism is a one that you want to be familiar with. Pluralism means that there's more than one way that is being preached to heaven. There's more than one way up the mountain. No, there is not. If you are a Bible-believing, spirit-filled believer, that is an absolute lie. And it's one of the doctrines of the devils that is being taught today. Pluralism means there's more than one way. The Bible says, no, there's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty clear. There's a lot of other scriptures as well, which I have highlighted in your handout. The second one is the Bible is not the foundation of truth. There are many denominations now that says this is just a bunch of stories. It's not true. You can, it's, 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 uh, it's some, some truth in it, some fiction in it. You can decide to do what you want to do. That's an absolute lie. It denies the power of the Scriptures. Denying the cross, it denies the atonement of Christ, that there's more than one way to get saved. No, there isn't. It's by the cross and only Him. Colossians 1 clearly defines. He was God. There's no other way. He was God in the beginning. He created all things. And by His blood on the cross, He sanctified and makes this a way for us. Right? So then lifestyle, you can do what you want. Once saved, always saved. Lifestyle, you don't have to live holy. What about be ye holy as I am holy? So it denies holiness. There's all this allowance in the church. It's the dumbing down of the scripture, not calling out immorality or perversion or drunkenness or drugs. These are things that we're warned about. Cessationism versus continuation that the gifts are not for today. They ceased when the, when the apostles died. Lie. We, we're going to touch on that as well. Replacement theology. That Jesus has allowed, or because of the infiltration of evil in the church, they're saying that the Jews are no longer God's holy people. They're no longer the apple of his eye. And the church has now replaced Israel. That's a lie. How can you read Romans 11 and get there? We're grafted in. We're the wild bunch, right? We've been grafted into the natural tree. He says, watch out. Watch out. If you think you can't be pulled out, if they pulled out the natural vine when they were unfaithful, come on. So this, so this replacement theology denies Romans 11. And then the new apostolic reformation, saying it's heresy. I use that term, the NAR. That's where in Ephesians 4, where it says, 
God, Jesus came and he ascended, but that means he first descended. This is in, in Ephesians chapter 4. He descended and he led a group of captives free, right? And then he gave gifts to men. Some of you, turn with me, let's turn right there. Turn with me to Ephesians 4. You're looking a little starry-eyed. Maybe I'm going too fast. I'm going to go fast. I'm sorry. Um, you just keep following. You're going to be good. Or jot some stuff down and make sure what I'm telling you is true. Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to see this is one of, it's important because they're saying that the five-fold ministry that's in the church, right? When Jesus came and he gave gifts to men, let's begin in Ephesians 4 and let's begin in verse 8. No, let's verse 7. Ephesians 4, 7. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That's why the scriptures says that when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended into the lowly world at the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than the heavens so that he might fulfill the entire universe with himself. Now, these gifts, these are the gifts that Christ gave the church. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. We call those the fivefold ministry gifts. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord's measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Does anybody think we've gotten there yet? It ain't over. And so these that say there's no fivefold ministry. So when you have just a pastor led church without the recognition of the other fivefold ministries of the prophet, the evangelist, the teacher, the pastor, and the apostle, then you're missing out because it says every joint, go on and read, it says that we speak this truth and it says that every joint would supply. So your role, my role is to equip you, our role is to equip you, and you're to do the work. So how working are you? Right? That's the question, right? And so once we come to the full maturity, okay. So we, we dispelled a lot of these falsities. I want to read this. This one came out. This week, Billy Graham, um, Franklin Graham actually sent it out. This was Mar May 19th, so it's this week. A group of LGBTQ activists called the Religious Exemption Accountability Project filed a lawsuit that would make it illegal to follow the Bible and the biblical beliefs at Christian colleges across our nation. The group of 33 LGBT current and former students is asking the federal government to deny federal financial aid loans and grants to any school that continues biblical teaching of sexuality and gender. You see the agenda? Come on. I thank God. They're going to go through the lawsuits. It's one thing after another. That's why this Equality Act that I've asked you to call your Senator Tillis and Burr and make sure you call them. It's easy. Go online. Call them and say, Vote against the Equality Act. It's already passed the House. And if it passes the Senate, and that margin is so small, guess what? What I'm preaching right now probably would be text as a hate crime. Because I believe the Scriptures. Goes on and says, I thank God, the Council of Christian Colleges and Universities, the Alliance of Defending Freedom, and some other Christian universities are taking a stand for the freedom to maintain the standards of what the Bible says. This threat is real and it's immense. The ramifications of the, of the loss of our religious freedoms in this country. If a Christian school cannot operate and teach the scriptures, what good is it? Amen. I encourage you, the battle and in this comment below, please pray. The anti-biblical agenda must be stopped. This is where we have to stand up and be counted. That's the urgency that Jude had. And you read that, it's like, come on, God, please you got to help us in this fight. Okay, turn to this. I'm going to go to the second page of your handout. It starts with the word kenosis. When I was at, some of you say, kenosis? What is that? It sounds like a disease or something, right? <laughs> one of the speakers, one of the 
actually one of the senior people in the group that I was speaking to said, so pastor, what's your view on kenosis? Now, good thing, praise the Lord, Holy Spirit, pull back. I remembered what Philippians 2 said, kenosis is the, well, let's read it at the top. In Christian theology is the self-emptying of Jesus' own will and becoming entirely receptive to God's divine will. There are denominations, there are those in belief that they believe that Jesus, even though he was fully God and fully man, they say, no, he wasn't God. He gave up his divinity. And if you've been here, you know that's a lie. What we believe in second, in, in Philippians chapter 2, why don't you turn there? Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2 so you can highlight this. When somebody says, well, do you believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man? Absolutely, he was. He never gave up his divinity. But he did do something, and Paul clearly tells us that. Verse 5, he talks about being selfless. Don't be selfish in verse 3 and 4. Don't look at others in their own, and don't look at your own interests only, but be interested in others also. That sounds like a nice Christian biblical principle. Number 5, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God... He did not think it equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took a humble position as a slave, was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. He died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place that is of the highest honor and gave him the, same, the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess." Now turn with me to the right, go to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. Remember, you have to have the fullness of Scripture, and he says here, Christ is the visible, this is Colossians 1.15, Christ is the visible image of an invisible God. He existed before anything was created. He is supreme over all creation, and through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made all things that you can see and the things that we can't see as such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities, and the unseen world. Everything was created through him. I don't think it gets any more clear than this, right? He existed before anything else was. He holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the, he is the beginning supreme over all who will rise from the dead. So he's the first in everything. For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. You can't deny the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and your actions, and now he's reconciled you to himself through death of Christ and his physical body as a result. He has brought you into his own presence. You're holy and you're blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away. See why they're after this scripture? See why they're after the word? Because you deny this power of this word and its truth and we are a ship without Sales or anchors anywhere. All right, moving right along. I know I'm moving fast. Some of this is a, a repeat, but I want to get to it quick. I want you to look at page two, the kenosis. Jesus gave up his divine power. See, it would have not been any big deal for Jesus to whoop the devil, right, if he's God. I mean, that, well, that's no big whoop. But when he comes and humbles himself and he's tempted like every way like you. Think of your worst temptation. Well, don't think of it. Um, just believe it, that wherever you do, that's like, oh, my Lord, what is that? Taking every thought captive, right? And so it says, Jesus had all that mess, but never sinned. Come on. So he knows your weakness. He knows the battle, right? When he's hungry, he's tired, 40 days in the devil, right? It says, after Jesus is water baptized, and then he's spirit baptized. The Father opens heaven, says literally tears the heavens wide open. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, right? That, that identity in Christ that comes down on him, and it's at that moment that says it descends on him like a dove. The Holy Ghost descends on him. Jesus being, this is in Luke chapter 3. You can look at the end of Luke 3, chapter verse 1 of Luke 4. It says, now Jesus full of the Holy Ghost. He begins his ministry at age 30, 
And he doesn't start it until he's water baptized and spirit baptized and the father acknowledges his identity. That's a really good message. If you try to do ministry outside of the Holy Ghost and being baptized in his power, good luck with that. There's a lot of history. Go ask John Wesley when he tried to do it in his own strength, becoming a missionary to Georgia. And the Moravians, I shared this last week, and the Moravians in the middle of a storm, they're all going to, they think the ship's about to go down, the sail's broken, water's pouring in, and the Moravians are singing, hallelujah. And John Wesley, the missionary, before he's spirit-filled, he's, who are these German Moravians that they have no fear? This perfect love expels fear, right? And so what happens? He comes back, and two years later, he's in a Moravian church in London, and he hears the word, says, and the Holy Spirit descended like warmth all over him. And then he begins his ministry. You study. Go, go study John Wesley on the Methodist movement. Oh my gosh. Power came on him. And that man led thousands. And he founded the church. And very sad today. Very sad today. One of his fears was one day the fire would go out in the church. Of Meth- and I'm a prior Methodist. I'm telling you. Right now we covered that last week. Let's move on. Okay. So Jesus, he laid down his power. But now he's the God-man fully empowered by the Holy Ghost to do the works of ministry and modeled for us, when you get powered in the Holy Ghost, you can do greater works, John 14. Greater works, 14, 12. Greater works shall you do because I go to the Father, right? So this is the empowerment. That's kenosis, right? So when someone says, do you believe Jesus is fully God? Of course he was fully God and fully man. But guess what? He gave up his powers, divine powers, to model for us what it would be like for someone who would hear Jesus, empowered by the Holy Ghost, knowing our identity in Christ, and we can walk this out. That's what he wants for us. Okay. There are those that are denying that power, and it's a wrong statement. It's part of the deception. Okay. Number five, evangelical. According to the, what's an evangelical? And they said, well, pastor, are you an evangelical? Absolutely. What does that mean? Look down, drop down to number six. An evangelical church is a church that stresses the preaching of the gospel of Jesus, personal conversion by experience, scripture is the sole basis of faith, and active evangelism for bringing others to Christ. That's who you are if you're part of this body, or at least that's the desire for all of us to be, right? So an evangelical church embraces the foundations of the faith of the scriptures. And so, when we looked at the Pew Surge, I told you last year, last week, 2014 Pew Surge, so many of the denominational churches no longer embrace those truths. That's really part of what the warning Paul had to his son Timothy in the last days. Okay, well, what are these beliefs? This is fancy terminology. You don't have to remember quadrilateral. Just remember, there are four real basic things that, that Methodism, John Wesley quoted these first. He said, there are four principles, and they're real simple. Once you think, A, the Bible is the absolute Word of God. Amen. You can have a biblical worldview, base your life. Turn with me, let's turn to 2 Timothy 3.16. There's one of those 3.16 verses, right? I love these, 3.16. For God so loved the world. All right, 2 Timothy 3.16. And there are many others I've listed in here. But it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture. Would somebody say All. Thank you. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and must makes us realize what's wrong in our life. Do you ever read the Scripture? It's like, oh, boy. It starts reading you, right? Yeah. It corrects us because that's why, that's why the Word of God is full of living power. And it's able to cut between your soul, your mind, your will, and emotions, right? And, and reveal what's in the spirit realm. It says... It's true, and it makes us realize what's wrong in us. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip, prepare and equip His people to do every good work. King James says it this way, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, whoa, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Man, it, that's, you, you wonder why when the communists took over, oh boy, here we go again. When the communists took over, the first thing they do is they get rid of the books. They burn the books. They make it illegal, right? When they take over, so when they start to come after this, you know what their plan is because they know what happens. That's why 
our brothers in China that sneak these in at risk of loss of life or imprisonment, these scriptures that are snuck into the secret church, this, this word is powerful. It has to be guarded. It has to be entrusted to our next generation. All right. So what do we see? We see that the Bible is real. Conversionism, 5B, you must have be born again. This is a personal and both an emotional experience, a profound change, a dramatic relationship with Christ. Activism and the cross. If you don't focus on the atoning work of the cross, then what saved you? Your good works? That's not possible. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, yet not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of your works, lest any man should boast. If you think you're going to heaven because you're a good person, you are not that good. I'm sorry, honey. I mean, uh, you may be good, but yeah, it's not enough. Okay, the cross and activism, lifestyle. All right. Look down, six is the evangelical church, which we are. When someone says, are you an evangelical Christian? Absolutely I am. And what does that mean? I believe in the four foundations, Scripture, the cross, atonement, being born again, and an active lifestyle of holiness. You can have that right there. Yes, we're an evangelical church. We, we, we stand on the foundations of the principles of Christ. Pluralism, no, we don't. It's that violates Scripture. Number seven. This violates Scripture. Somebody says, well, what about the poor people of this denomination or that, or that belief system? I'm just telling you what the Word says. The Word says that's why we evangelize. That's why people of other faith are having visitations. My rabbi friends are telling me, a visit, our friends in Nepal, visitations that appear to people of different faiths that says, I'm Jesus, just like Paul on the road to Damascus who thought he was doing all the right stuff, right? Killing Stephen and arresting Christians of the way. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me, Saul? Hmm. And the conversion happens, three days of blindness. That really was, must have been an interesting three days for him. All right, moving right along. Emotionalism versus enthusiasm. Um, I remember when I walked in here the first time with my three-piece suit from an, another denomination, and I saw what I saw this morning, flags, and I'm like, oh, boy. I told my wife, we got to get out of here. She was, she'd already been here for a few weeks with the kids. We got to get out of here. This looks like a cult. And in her wisdom, she said, just be quiet. Sit down. You'll be all right. And so it just so happened, the setup was that Sunday, there was a biker had his bike, his Harley parked right on the concrete out there. And it was Bert Aguilar, and he was, he was preaching with his ponytail and his cut-off shirt. And I'm in my 3 p. I'm like, but you know what? That guy had the power of God in his heart. He's in, he's in heaven now. And, Lord, I thank you. That day is like, hmm, I came back. I'm sitting right where Chris is. Wave at me, Chris. I'm sitting right there. I took my 3 p. seat off the next week and came back. And I was like, and, then, and now I are one. <laughs> Wow. So if, you're, if that's new to you, just buckle up. You'll be okay. You, you, it's going to be all right. We're going to preach the truth, and you're going to... But here's, the, here's one thing I heard. You charismatic Pentecostals, evangelicals, you're like ignorance on fire. I said, I don't like the ignorance part. I like the fire part. I do everything you do with enthusiasm for God, right? That's what he says, Paul tells us. Well, how about the, some of the denominationalists said, how about you? You're a bunch of intellect on ice. Having a form of godliness but no power. Could that be? And we could argue and disagree. And then we got into this debate about what are the hills you'll die on? What are the hills that you will not negotiate? We call those hills to die on. Well, I just listed four of them. Don't you, I'll never deny Christ. Never. He's my only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way other than through Him. So the Bible is absolute truth. I list them in nine. Bible is absolute truth. You must be born again. What did Jesus tell John, tell Nicodemus in John chapter 3? When He comes to Him at night, because they're probably fearful of losing their reputation, so the religious leader comes at night. Let's turn there, because this is powerful. John chapter 3. Oh, help me, Lord. I got so much to cover. John chapter 3, he says, Nicodemus comes at night, a Pharisee, Rabbi, we all know, this is in verse 2, John 3, 2, we all know that God 
has sent you to teach us because these miraculous signs are evidence enough. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom. What do you mean? How do I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replies in verse 5, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and born of the Spirit. Humans produce only humankind, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to the spiritual life. Then you know John 3.16, God so loved the world. Um, Then he goes on and says, all who are evil hate the light. This is verse 20. Turn the page and it says, John the Baptist was baptizing, and guess what? So was Jesus. Verse 22, John 3, 22. Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem, and they went to the Judean countryside. Jesus spent time with them there, baptizing people. At that time, here's the jealousy spirit. John's disciples said, how come everybody's going to his baptism? And then I love what John the Baptist says is, he's the Messiah. He must increase and I will decrease, right? And it says, don't worry about that. <laughs> I told you he's going to baptize with power, right? And so this is that thing sometimes we've got to deal with, jealousy in the church, which Jude takes care of, the Cain spirit, the jealous brother. How come they get all the attention of the pastor and I get none? <laughs> okay, so we see here he testifies what he's heard and the spirit is going to be given in verse 34. He is sent by God, speaking of Jesus. He speaks God's words, for God gives him the Spirit without limit. So John 3 clearly, again, identifies, just like John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became God and dwelt among us, right? So there's no way to dismiss who Christ is. Okay. Another hill to die on, baptism by immersion. If you think you're saved because somebody sprinkled you when you were a few months old, you're not saved by that. Now, there is dedication. We know, example, Jesus was dedicated in his eighth day. We dedicate children here. But there's something about the baptism in full immersion. We have a little baptismal tank on the patio. I don't know if you notice how pretty it looks. <laughs> it's a horse trough for the... We tried to dress this up. I'm sorry. You know, we're... Anyway, um, Nilsa did such a great job. So if anyone's here and you want to be water baptized today, because we're going to pray for the spirit baptism... Um, we have some towels and whatever, and so you can grab your spaghetti dinner, be baptized in water, and go home and change and have your spaghetti dinner. Sounds like a perfect day. So, all right. So what other things? Sacraments. Jesus gave two commands. The two commands Jesus gave that are the sacraments is the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of me, and be ye baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, okay, I want to get to the meat now. There's some hills that we'll bleed on. These are the arguments. Eternal security, once saved, always saved, or you can lose your salvation. Cessationism, replacement theology, apostolic. If you don't believe in once saved, if you believe in once saved, always saved, or you believe in cessationism, as long as you believe in the principles I've just outlined as the hills to die on, we'll be in heaven, and then you'll find out we were right when we get there, right? (laughs) Lord, forgive me. I'm not trying to be prideful. I just believe your word's true. And so, and so um, we, we, don't, we can agree to disagree on those things, right? That's what I mean by that. Okay, turn back to page one, biblical foundational principles. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smoke through this because I really want to get to the place on Pentecost that you have a biblical understanding. When someone says, why do you believe you have to be baptized in the Holy Ghost? When I was in my other denominations, I've told you I've been in, I think, the 12 churches over time, right? Um, I was never, I don't remember one sermon being taught on the power of the Holy Ghost or the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Not one. And so, this is, it's not taught. In fact, it's rejected in many of the mainline denominations. And so, but I don't know how you can read the scriptures I'm going to give you. i outline them for you that you can't understand the revelation of why you must, you must be born again, and you must be filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. Okay, so number one, see the biblical foundations on page one, the Bible is the Word of God. Two, we believe in salvation, water baptism, baptism in the Holy Spirit, and they are separate. In Hebrews chapter six, I list them. It says we don't have to go over the foundational principles again and again, do we? And baptisms there is plural. It's more than one. So look at Hebrews 6 at some point. You'll see that. Then the distinctive works of faith. One, how to enter the kingdom. I read you out of John 3. You can't enter the kingdom unless you're born of water and spirit. 
Repent and be baptized. Receive the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Well, it's the Father's gift. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. Remember, this is, Jesus has now resurrected. He appears to the disciples. Many of them are still doubtful. In Luke 24, in verse 38, why are you frightened? He shows up and, you know, he walks through the walls. I guess that's probably, I guess you would be a little, whoa, what is this, right? Why are you frightened? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands and look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost because don't, ghosts don't have bodies. See, he's in his resurrected body. That in itself is amazing. He stood there. They stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. It's like their mind is trying to grasp what just happened, right? He asked them, do you have anything to eat? So he wa- they watch him probably eat. See, I'm eating. Okay. So he convinces them. And then he goes on and says, verse 44, then he said, when I was with you before, I told you everything that was written about me in the law must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it is written that I would suffer, die, rise from the dead on the third day, and the message would be proclaimed with authority to all in his name to all the nations. And you are my witnesses, 48. You are my witnesses of all these things. Look at verse 49. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. And then he ascends. All right, now turn to Acts chapter 1. What do we see here in Acts chapter 1? This is the gift of the Father, right? He says, I'm going to send, I'm going to send it. The Father's gift is going to come. Now, remember, this is a city where they just killed Jesus. They're probably hunting the disciples. If I were them, I'd probably, we're out of town. Let's head up to Galilee or somewhere. He tells them, stay here. So, in Acts chapter 1, in my first book, he, tell, he talks about this. says, Verse 3, Acts 1, 3, it says, During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time to prove in many ways that he was actually alive. See, sometimes like, remember when John, uh, Thomas wasn't there the first time he appeared? He walks through the wall, and Peter, and probably John, and yeah, we saw him, Thomas. I ain't believing that. Not until I see him, and hands, and feet, and scars. And then he walks through the wall se- several days later, and he walks right up to Thomas. Okay, Thomas. Let's get rid of this doubt. And, of course, he hits the floor, my Lord and my God, right? And so, at that moment, he's now 40 days. He's showing up at various times, and he's preaching the kingdom to them. Boy, I know we got some of that in the Scriptures, but it says he taught them about the kingdom, right? So, he tells them now, he tells them in verse 4, once while he was eating with them, so this is one of those times, he commands them. Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends the gift He promised, as I told you before. But He's already opened their minds to receive the Scripture. They already know He's the Savior. They're already believers. So if they got all of it when they believed, they didn't because He says, no, the Father's going to send you the gift, and you need to stay here, and you need to tarry for it, and you need to ask Him for it. And so it's separate. Come on, rightly divide the word of truth, right? Verse 8, He says, Verse 8, he goes on and says this, when you receive power, when you receive power, when you receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, upon you, you want to read up that on word, that upon means it falls on you, it comes on you. When you receive Christ, He's in you, and your spirit is alivened, your, your name's written in the Lamb's book of life, but when He comes on you, something happens. So, come on, let's look at some more scriptures. In Acts chapter 2, it's been read here twice. Acts chapter 2, the outpouring in Pentecost. What happens? They come and what happens? They, we see in Acts chapter 2 this prophecy that is fulfilled from Joel. One day, on day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. You might want to underline that. Oh, I can do church at home. Well, you may miss it. All right. Those, those were guys that were on live stream that day, uh, uh, maybe they got it. I don't know. Suddenly, there were, I'm being facetious, there was a sound from heaven, a roaring of a mighty windstorm filled with the house, and they were sitting there. It looked like flames on their head. Boy, that looks really strange. 
They could hear it, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability, right? And there's the bewildered, the amazed, look at it, all those that are mocking, they're like, wow, what is this? They're speaking in languages we understand, and these guys are from Galilee, how would they know my language? Amazed, perplexed, ridiculed, oh, they're drunk. Now, none of you would know this, but what a drunk person looks like, right, is pretty silly, right? So, there's this place where when the Holy Spirit fell, they looked pretty stupid, silly, um, out of it, um, not with it, not coherent, right? And if you've ever been baptized like that, you know what I'm talking about, right? My radical conversion and then my radical impartation in Brazil, when that Spirit fell on me, oh my Lord, I was my wife will tell you, they had to carry me to my hotel room, and they threw me in, four guys threw me in the bed, and it was like, what just happened here? That night, the most profound miracle ever, a crippled demoniac woman named Priscilla had her leg and her back go straight. My wife and I prayed for her. There was a deliverance that took place. So that radical empowerment of the Holy Ghost transformed and saved people. That night, several people got blind eyes open. Tumors disappeared. I remember a tumor on the side of a neck. Phil Walls, my buddy, prayed for her. That thing disappeared before our very eyes. The power of the Holy Ghost came, and the signs and wonders verified that the message was true. That didn't happen until we were empowered by the Holy Ghost. And so, this thing about the presence of God, let's keep going. Acts chapter 4, verse 31, turn there. At Gate Beautiful, you remember this story? Every day they place this man who's crippled at Gate Beautiful, the gate in Jerusalem, and as they're walking by, how many times did Jesus walk by there? He was there every day, crippled from birth. It wasn't his time. Peter and John show up, and the guy's asking for alms. Give me alms. He turns to silver and gold, have I none, but such as I have given I unto you. Grabs his hand, and he's instantly healed. Pow! And then it breaks out. Revival breaks out, and they get all mad at the disciples. You need to stop talking about this Jesus. And Peter stands up and says, you think we're going to listen to you? Do you know that the resurrected Christ, we've seen him? We've got empowerment on us now. You think we're going to listen to you? Oh, no. Right? Look at verse 29, chapter 4, 29 of Acts. And now, O oh Lord, hear the threats. Give us, your servants, great boldness to preach the word. Stretch out your hand with healing power, miraculous signs and wonders that are done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were filled. All were filled. All. They had been filled before. Pa I've been a Pastor, can you be filled more than once? Absolutely. Because we leak out. The world leaks out, man. Have you <laughs> Monday morning's coming, right? He says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the Word with all boldness. Okay, moving right along. Acts chapter 8. You getting the picture here? Acts chapter 8. Now let's take it away from the apostles, and let's, let's have a guy who works at House of Mercy. He's a volunteer at House of Mercy. His name's Philip, a man known to be full of the Holy Ghost. When all of the persecution breaks out in Jerusalem, he goes to Samaria because he's not racist. Even though the Jews won't even walk through Samaria because they're half-breeds, half-Gentile, half-Jews, they won't even walk there. It was illegal. Jesus met the woman at the well in John 4, right? Why are you talking to this woman? She's a, one of those Samaritans. Well, Philip goes there and preaches the Word of God. People get saved. Look at this, Acts chapter 8, Philip preaches in Samaria, verse 4. But when the believers were scattered to preach the good news, Philip, for example, so there's others, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened to Philip because they were eager to hear the message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. Many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was great joy in the city. There was even a leper says, verse 12, Now the people believed Philip's message as... And good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. As a result, many men and women were baptized. This is water baptism. Then Simon himself, this, all right, verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John. It's like, check this out. It can't be. These Gentiles? Samaritans? 
As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They're believers, right? Receiving the kingdom. Miracles are breaking out, but they had been water baptized, but they had not been fallen upon yet. Very specific language. King James says the same thing. They received the word of God, and when they came down, that they might receive the Holy Ghost, for he was yet not fallen on any of them. They'd only been baptized in the name of Jesus. When they laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. Do you see it? Okay. Moving right along. Acts chapter 10. I don't know how we missed this in other denominations. I was just like, what? Cornelius, he's a Roman soldier, a man who gives alms and praise. He takes, he's a godly man. He has a vision. Paul has a, Peter has a trance that connects the Gentiles with him. Peter goes and preaches in Cornelius' house. And while he's preaching, Acts chapter 10, Bishop and I both read this this morning independently. He came and says, did you read Acts chapter 10 about Cornelius? And while he was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell. Come on, Holy Spirit, fall on them. Fall on them. Fall on them, Lord. Fall. He's preaching the kingdom of God. And it says, when he's preaching, all of a sudden it falls on him. Acts 10, 44. It says that, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers came with Peter, were amazed that the gift... Remember the Father's gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in tongues. Uh-oh, there's those devil tongues again. They seem to come out every time the Holy Ghost shows up. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they received the Holy Spirit? I want you to see. He's preaching the first salvation message. They get baptized in the Holy Spirit first, and then they get water baptized. Oh, that looks like it's out of order. No. <laughs> God can do whatever He wants, right? Right? So, it, I just want you to get out of your religious spirit and let God be God, right, in the midst of this. All right, Acts chapter um, 11, verse 1. This, the good news preached by the apostles and the believers in Judea, the Jewish believers were critical that they had brought this to the Gentiles. And he says in verse 15 of Acts 11, began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as He fell on us at the beginning. Then the thought of the Lord's words, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift He gave us when we were believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in His way? All right. Acts 19. All right, I'm finishing. Come on. Acts 19. Last one. Paul goes to Ephesus. Now, this is years later. This is probably somewhat like 19, 20 years from when Acts chapter 1 takes place, most believe. So in Acts 19, Paul goes to, Apollos is in Corinthians, Acts 19, 1, Paul, Apollos is in Corinth, Paul is in the interior regions, he goes to Ephesus. When he gets there, he found several believers. Chapter, verse 2, 19, 2, did you, the first question he asked them, this is pretty important, he didn't ask them, so are you a cessationist, uh, uh, what do you believe in once saved, always saved, no, he starts out with, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, when I was in another denomination, of course I received the Holy Spirit, when, yes, you did, your spirit man is born again. Did you have the falling on of the power of God to baptize you in His power? N no, no. Uh, we didn't even know there was one, a Holy Spirit. Well, then what did you experience? That's a really important word. Verse 3, then what baptism did you experience? The water baptism. Well, that was unto salvation, unto repentance. Yes, under the water you go, and when you come out, the old man is dead. But there's another baptism, the baptism that comes from fire. In verse 5, as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord, Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke with other tongues, and they prophesied. Oh, there's that word. Twenty years later, they prophesied. So what we see here, I just want you to see that biblical foundations. Now, I won't go here, but turn to the page that says manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Are they biblical? I just listed a few. When people say, well, you know, you guys are very emotional and wound up about Jesus, you bet. It's really important when you realize you're going to live forever, <laughs> get kind of excited about living forever, you know. 
that he, he paid for my entire price of all my sin, and my, my, my history's been erased. You, you ought to get a little excited about that, you know? I don't know what excites you, but that ought to do it, especially on the day when you meet him. You're going to be really glad, right? Okay, so I just listed a number of the manifestations, and then there was this evaluation done, number 12. People who had gone to the Toronto Blessing, over 4 million that impacted people like Bill Johnson, Heidi Baker, John Arnott, those who have been, there's about four million went to the Toronto Blessing. And these are some of the men, so they did an evaluation because they were asked, actually John Arnott was asked, um, when people fall out and all this stuff's happening in here, uh, is that okay? Are you sure? He goes, well, let's, let's check on it. So Margaret Paloma, number 12 there, she surveyed 1,000 people who had fallen out under the power of the Holy Ghost. And 92 of them said they were more in love with Jesus, 92%, and 82% said they were more motivated and excited about being with Jesus after that. That doesn't sound demonic to me. Anything that makes you fall out and more excited does not sound like demons. You'll know it by its fruit, remember Jesus? So, so I, uh, I just want us to be in a place where we're in pursuit. Now, let me... The last scripture I'll share, turn with me to Luke chapter 11. I told you it's the Father's gift, right? Well, pastor, how do we invite the presence of the Holy Spirit? You can, it can happen sovereignly. I've been in meetings where all of a sudden the sovereign presence of God just comes in. During worship, during, you know, my testimony, during the preaching, a word of knowledge was given, and that transformed me. Word of knowledge for healing for my daughter. That's how I had entrance into the kingdom. It can happen sovereignly. It can happen in pursuit. We know from a lot of the um, revivalists, they would tarry sometimes for months. We want, the, we want to tarry, tarry for the Holy Ghost. It's not like this drive-through stuff where, you know, you get it and back to, back to you know, I'll, I'll take a Whopper with cheese. No, this is, this is God tarrying for Him, right? And so, there's this pressing in, pursuance of Him, this desire. It's, the, it's that pursuit. So, um, I've been asked the question even recently, Wednesday night, Pastor, if I don't speak in tongues, does that mean I'm not born again? I'm not, I'm not, not sorry, I'm not baptized in the Holy Ghost. You can read in 1 Corinthians 12. There's, again, this is a debate. Some say, well, it's an evidence of speaking in tongues. Well, does everyone speak in tongues? Paul says no. 1 Corinthians 12. Are all apostles, all pastors, all teachers? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Does that mean you're not? No. But you'll know it by its power and its fruit. But you can still pursue it. He says, pursue the gifts, right? Pursue the greater gifts, right? He says, I speak in tongues more than all you all, but I don't prevent speaking in tongues, but also pursue the greatest of those, prophecy. So the gifts are open to all of us, and there's magnitudes and levels of those. We're in pursuit as a body of believers. We're in pursuit of the greater gifts. We want the gifts to operate freely. When I watch what's happening in ministry, it's always so encouraging to me. When words of knowledge are flying and prophetic words, people are crying. Sometimes you can measure a service by the number of tears that are like, yay, God, get them, get them, God, right? And so we're in pursuit. Well, here's the gift of the Father again emphasize. Jesus teaches about prayer in Luke 11. I promise, the last scripture. Luke 11, he was in a certain place praying, and they ask him, and he teaches them. Verse 9, Luke 11, 9, so I tell you, keep on asking. Some of you say, well, I asked God 10 years ago. He hadn't answered. I'm waiting on him. I would keep knocking, All right? Keep asking. You will receive. Sometimes it's a measure of your enthusiasm and also the measure of your belief. Not begging, although, man, remember the unjust judge? Or, yeah, the unjust judge. She kept annoying him at night. He finally said, give the woman what she needs. She's driving me happy. Right? Okay. Keep on knocking. The door will be opened. He who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks the door will be opened. I love that thing about this chairs at the table. Bishop had a word. The table's set. There's all sorts of goodies. There's room at the table for you, right? He told, uh, David told us there's a table set in the presence of my enemies. That's on this life. That's not, there's no enemies in heaven. That's in this life. You're seated at the table, and the enemy's probably there and wondering what's going on. Okay. Keep on knocking. Verse 31, if you fathers 
if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you're sinful and you know how to give a good gift to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? you got to ask the Father. This is a gift from the Father. Jesus gave the fivefold ministry gifts. Holy Spirit gives the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. The Father gives the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? So I want to invite um, ministry team to come to the front. I'm going to ask Daniel if he will key up the Agnus Day, the Michael W. Smith Agnus Day version. I've seen this in many countries we've been in when we pray this and the Holy Spirit just comes. First of all, I want to be um, diligent. If you've never really surrendered your life to Christ, this would be a really amazing day to, on Pentecost to come and give your life to Christ. If that's... if. Or maybe you've, you've gotten in a place where you've kind of wandered off and you're not really close with God right now and you want to be. Scripture says, if you will stand before men and declare me, then I will stand before my Father and declare you. So there's something really powerful about making an unashamed stand that, you know what, I'm now a believer and I'm turning my life to that place. So I want to invite you to come. That's that's not a place of, it's a, it's a great blessing. And there's a, actually, the angels have a party every time somebody does this in heaven. They like parties. So if that's you, I want to invite you, if you've never really completely made him the Lord of your life, maybe he's been your fire insurance, and you're saying, I want to make him the Lord of my life, why don't you come and make a stand here and say, today, I'm making a stand. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus because I need Him. He's going to stand. He hung naked on a cross for you, and so He was unashamed. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before Him. That's you. That's me. So, if that's you, come and just stand here and say, I'm, I'm going to do that today. Or if you've been kind of backslidden or in a place where, you know what, I just, whew, I need to make a change. Sometimes you just got to defile all the prideful stuff of our past, and you know what? I'm not, I'm not in a good place right now, and I want to be. You can join us because many of us have been down that road in the past. I want to just wait and make that invitation first. You must be saved. You must be born again in order to have the kingdom. You can't enter the kingdom without that. You'll be outside the kingdom knocking on the door. And never want to hear Jesus say, I never knew you. So if there's some tension there, just forget that you're here and just stand up and come on. If you're on live stream and that's you, you can turn off all the noise, pull over if you're driving. Just get to a place where you're quiet and ask the Lord to come into your life. Okay, I'm going to make an assumption that everyone here is born again. Now, if you want a refill or you've never been filled, maybe this is new teaching to you. Like I said, it's not taught often. Why don't you stand where you are and just stand right in your place there and say, I want, to, I want more, Lord. I want more. I want you to fall on me again. I want you to fall on me again. We need more, God. We want to we want to be on fire. We want to be filled with power and become a witness. So you're going to become witnesses. So you can't be quiet anymore. <laughs> when the Holy Ghost comes, He's going to make you a witness of the good things of God. So why don't you close your eyes and just kind of open your hands, palms up like you're going to get a gift from the Father. And now I'd like you to just ask the Father to release the gift of the Holy Spirit in a full measure. Just ask your Abba, Abba Father, come Holy Spirit, come, come Holy Spirit. Father, we want the gift of your Spirit. Come with the kabod weight of God, the heaviness of God.
I'd like you to pray in the Spirit right now. If you have the gift of tongues, pray in the Spirit. If not, just pray. Come on, lift it up. Lord, release your presence in your fire. Come with your presence, Lord. Open up the kingdom of God. Release the anointing. Give us revelation, God, right now in the name of Jesus, of the kingdom of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the revelation of the God. Open our minds to receive God just like you did blow on us oh God blow the spirit of God to release the anointing of God oh Lord we thank you God for your presence and your anointing God and now I'd like the ministry team to go lay hands on anyone that you see that's led if you're led to go lay hands on them go on and lay hands on them right out there go out there and lay hands on them right now in the name of Jesus Lord release the anointing God in Jesus name release the anointing God Lord release more release more God I thank you release more of your presence God release more of your presence God right now in Jesus name Lord I thank you Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. Release the anointing of God, the presence of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, Lord.